Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Spiritual Forum. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for supporting the Spiritual Forum podcast. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, retreat, and prayer ministry, and we are here to bring hope to the world. We're here to bring inspiration to the world and to support you on your spiritual journey. So I encourage you to subscribe to whatever podcast channel you listen to and or, or also on YouTube. So subscribe there and also subscribe to the newsletter. Really appreciate it. I send out a, a monthly, excuse me, I send out a weekly newsletter. And you get the um, information on the latest podcast and some of my reflections on the podcast and maybe a blog and maybe an inspirational thought and just a way to stay connected. Oh, by the way, I have started, put out a, um, a survey, a listener survey. So anybody who's listening who wants to give me feedback on the podcast, what works, what doesn't work, what you'd like to hear more of, I'm really, I'll put that also on a link on this podcast page. So let me welcome my guest. Linda Bloom is a psychotherapist and marriage counselor who teaches communication seminars and relationship workshops. She's the co-author of the best-selling book, 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married. That's probably a book that a lot of us wish we had. <laughs> she also co-wrote Simple Lessons to Make Love Last, Secrets of Great Marriages, and That Which Doesn't Kill Us, How One Couple Became Stronger at the Broken Places. Linda and her husband, Charlie, have been married for 50 years and offer educational and counseling services to individuals, couples, and organizations. In addition to their books, they have over 600 blogs on Psychology Today with over 10 million hits. They live and practice in Santa Cruz, California. Linda and Charlie's latest book, An End to Arguing, will be out this February 14th, just in time for Valentine's Day. Welcome, Linda. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be here with you. Yeah, I'm always interested in talking to relationship experts because relationships is where we learn everything about ourselves. And this is a spiritual podcast, so I always have a spiritual angle. And the relationships is um, uh, really key to our spiritual path. The people that we're connected to are the ones that teach us the most. They're the ones that show us what we have to learn. They're the ones that show us our projections. And whatever it is helps us learn to be more complete, authentic people. So I think always talking about relationships is really, really a great thing for everyone who's on the spiritual path. It's really where our greatest challenges are. I think, don't you? Yes. yes. <laughs> Keeps you in business. <laughs> and congratulations for me being married for 50 years. That's that's a huge accomplishment. I think most people think that's pretty pretty special, pretty amazing. I'm so proud about it. And we had a big bash to celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. And I had had kind of a conservative wedding. Do you know? And I finally got my hippy dippy wedding. Oh. And we had flower crowns and we wore lays and we were outdoors and we got the whole community involved and people took the mic and they sang songs and they brought poetry and they made a testimonial about how they 
have been inspired by us and what they've learned from us. And it was just exquisite. I was flying high for 10 days after the event. Oh, that's amazing. I remember my own parents had a 50th wedding anniversary party where they flew everybody in. It was a big bash. And they also had a 60th. Uh, it was a little a little smaller. That was family. Well, I shouldn't say smaller. It was a very extended family, but uh-huh. two two huge milestones for them to celebrate. And I'm at 42. <laughs> That's a considerable accomplishment. That's serious working it out and it's, learning about it, ourselves. Yeah, and it it does see, it does seem rare. Maybe it isn't rare, but it's it seems like it's it is it is kind of something. Every time I mention it, people are like, "Wow, that's amazing!" You know, good for you. So I think it is an accomplishment as long as as long as you don't lose yourself in the process, which I think some people do when they hang on real long. But you know, as long as you 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 know find yourself, which I think we'll be talking about today too. That's a, a key to a successful committed partnership is hanging on to yourself and becoming more of who we can be while still being deeply connected to another. And they seem like they can be in opposition to each other, but really they can work well together, but it takes a lot of mindfulness practice to do it well. Yes, it sure does. Um, I want you to tell your story about you know how you got to being this relationship counselor, coach, and also an author. But do you have like a bottom line, like what your message is to to people regarding relationships? Do you have like an encapsulated message? Yes, we do. And it's do your own work. Ah, If you can get your attention off of your partner and what they're doing or not doing or saying or not saying, and you put your attention on yourself, that's where we've got the personal power to be able to make the changes that we want to make. And you know how Gandhi says, be the change that you want to see in the world. So when we dance our steps differently, our partner needs to dance a little differently with us. So in this book that's coming out on Valentine's Day, An End to Arguing, we have ample opportunity to practice keeping our attention on ourselves because it's so tempting, because it's so obvious what they're doing and not doing and saying and not saying that is causing the the difficulty in the relationship. It's much harder to self-observe and take responsibility for the part that is our own. And that's a, it's a demanding discipline. Yeah, I think that the ultimate spiritual quest is do your own work. <laughs> it really, really is, no matter what it is. And relationships just really put it right in front of you. And it's such a, uh, it's so alluring to go, you're the problem, you're the problem, <laughs> you're the problem. But it's, it always, it's like a boomerang. It always comes back to, for us to do our work. Um, and there's a grain of truth in what the mind is saying. But if we follow that path, it's going to take us into arguments and resistance and feeling like a victim and powerlessness. And if we can come back to self, what is my part in this? What is my sore area that may be left over from a previous adult relationship or maybe an old childhood issue that our partner is inadvertently usually banging into that sore place. And that's an extraordinary opportunity to have a healing experience about the places where we're tender. Yeah, yeah and we do, don't we, we do attract what we need to learn with, through, through our people. 
Oh, I think even even in friendships, we do that, not just in romantic partnerships, but the romantic partnerships tend to be the hot fire. But we can do this work with friends. We could do it with a sibling that we're close to. If we have a sister or brother that we're close to, if we have an aunt or an uncle, if we have, um, you know, a cousin, the, these Friends sometimes are closer to us than our own family members and a family member of choice that we can make an agreement with that we're going to use what the relationship flushes up as a growth experience for both of us. And so when there's some friction, if there's some disappointment, if there's some um, irritation, that we don't just harbor it, we don't just withhold it, that This person is a special, unique person to us, our closest, and we have agreement that we're going to be revelatory with them, that we're going to reveal rather than conceal, we're going to express rather than repress. And that is a dynamic relationship as spiritual practice, if we can grow the courage (laughs) and the commitment to hang in there to do that work. Yeah, I love that you brought up that this isn't just romantic relationships. Uh, that's the first thing that when I was looking at your book, that's the first thing I thought is, uh, well, of course, I'm looking at how does it apply to my life. And I, I, I was thinking about two, two of my daughters, and I'm going to send this book to them. It's like, they're, they're, they love each other as sisters, but there's just they just don't see each other. And I'm like, I think a lot of these lessons or examples that you have in your book would work with a sibling relationship just as well as an, a romantic relationship. Absolutely. Any close relationship is going to have that friction in it. Yeah. And we, we, the mind loves the comfort and the predictability and the security, but for relationship to grow and for us to grow as individuals, we need that heat. We need that friction. And so I think it would be fabulous for your daughters to be able to read it and discuss the parts that pertain to their relationship. And that's why we put the subtitle on there. It's an end to arguing 101 valuable lessons for all relationships. Now, a lot of the stories that we illustrate our points in with the 101 tips in the book are about romantic partnership because we tell stories on ourselves because my husband, Charlie, and I are so different and we had so many arguments in the early years that we were together, but we are good students and we paid attention and we made it part of our spiritual practice. So there are stories about us and of course there's stories about our clients and students because we're both psychotherapists and couples counselors. And so we've got these, you know, amazing um, gathering of stories together to illustrate points. And people love stories. They sometimes forget the commentary, but they remember the story and the kernel of truth is in there in that story. But there are some stories that aren't about romantic partnerships. They're about friendships and other relationships. So we wanted it to be applicable in a wide arena. Yeah, that's wonderful. I completely agree with you about stories. Stories is really where we learn and or how we remember things. And I think that's how, you know, the great teachers told stories. And yes. because <laughs> we don't really listen to the facts so much, but the <laughs> stories. So can you tell me a little about your story? I mean, how did you get to becoming who you are now? Yeah. Um, thank you for asking. My husband and I were both psychotherapists when we moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. And he became a corporate guy. 
And he had a personality change because we we were hippies in the 60s. You know, we met when we were in college and he was Mr. Laidback. And then all of a sudden he's strutting around a three-piece suit, you know, and he's in this corporate climate that's highly competitive and yanged out in male and uh, somewhat of a patriarchal system. And we had an agreement with each other that we we're going to mutually support each other's careers and parent the children together and have a real partnership. And his job was so demanding. He worked an 80 hour week. He was on the road and it really almost broke our family up. This was a long time ago. It was in the eighties, but it went on for five years. Mm -hmm. And I was just absolutely beside myself because it was not a model of marriage that I ever wanted to have. I wanted us to be bringing these kids up together and I wanted my career to could to thrive and I had to cut it way back because I felt like the children needed at least one parent present because he was missing in action so much of the time. I missed him terribly because we had enjoyed 12 years before he was a corporate guy and we were very much in love and I asked him would he leave the job and he said our marriage won't be worth anything if you have me give up the job that I know I was born to do. So he was teaching seminars and I was home with the kids like a 50s wife and I was resentful and we fought a lot. So on top of missing him desperately and being overtired from being a single parent most of the time, we fought horribly, but we paid attention. And that's when uh, Stephen Levine, a gifted spiritual teacher, and Jack Cornfield came into our life. And we made an agreement that we were going to go and sit in meditation with Jack Cornfield at Spirit Rock every single Monday night for a year. And it was a life-changing experience. And doing relationship workshop with Stephen Levine and his wife, Andrea, was a life-changing experience because I got my attention off of how awful he was being. <laughs> and I got it on myself. And I started to do my own work and practice forgiveness meditation and practice um, being present with myself, with more self-care and attention to myself, because I needed a lot more than I was getting. And I had to learn how to be with me and to love me. And that was one of the beneficial side effects of that difficult, challenging time. He finally did resign from that job the week before he turned 40 in a classic, dramatic, midlife crisis way. And we started our own business where we could make our own schedule, which had challenges of, of its own. You know, when you go into business for yourself, you're making it up as you go along. But at least we were doing it together. So we we dodged the bullet. Do you know, we got through that really demanding time without breaking up the family. And it was really close. It was just a hair away of calling the divorce lawyer. Mm. And so we started to teach seminars because that's what he had been doing when he was in the corporate world. And people loved hearing our before and after stories. 
So we would tell a gory, gory stories about how unskillfully we used to fight with each other and we would threaten and shout and walk away and stamp around and use statements, you know, judgment, blame, you name it, we probably did it. And how we recovered from being unconscious combatants, doing everything to sabotage the well-being of a relationship and how we learn to get vulnerable and speak the truth of what we felt and what we needed without the judgment in it. And so we knew where the line was between just having a difference and going over the line to from complaint to criticism and blame and judgment, which takes you right into argument. It's okay to have differences. They're inevitable. But going over the line to an argument, conflict is not inevitable. That's optional. If we know where our lines are and we're doing our own work to have the kind of self-discipline to know when the hell to shut up, do you know, and to listen well, to become a black belt listener. And so the demand for our workshops and for our counseling started to focus on helping the couples learn what we had learned in the trenches. And so Robert Bly says, let your gift become your, let your wound become your gift to the community. Mm. That's what we're doing now. We're paying it forward because all of these exquisite spiritual teachers gave us so much. We want to help people save, save them some trouble. Do you know if we can do that? And so we've written five books now. I don't know if we're going to do more. I think maybe, but at least we've had our say and we've put this practical wisdom with stories out there for the public to consume. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, that story is really, it's very, very inspirational. And I think it's it's so much easier to learn from people who can say, can share their own experience. Like, this is everything we did. It makes you so, so relatable. I am extremely impressed that you made a commitment to, to meditate for a year when you had children and were having, you know, marital challenges. And that's a huge, huge commitment. I mean, how did that, how did that come about that you say, okay, for a year, we're going to do this? I was desperate. I really was brought to my knees. I had tried everything I knew, and we were caught in gridlock. And I couldn't help my intense desire for him to finish up with the corporate world and leave it. And he couldn't leave because he felt that he was destined to do that work and he had to play it out. And we were just caught with in this tension. Do you know that we lived with this chronic tension? So we we learned some things that really helped us. We learned that going and having a sitting group and being with like-minded people, Sangha, with a, a bona fide spiritual teacher who was a householder too, do you know that that made that teacher so credible? We learned how the Buddhists call it not being thrown off your seat. You contain your energy and you just be with it and you keep noting, you know, I feel like 
I'm really angry right now. I feel like I'd like to tear his hair out by the roots. I feel so victimized by the situation I'm finding myself in. And you just be with it and you keep breathing and you just keep noting, but you don't act out. Do you know, you just be with the feelings. It's a very demanding practice when they're that hot and you're flooded. And Stephen and Andrea taught me forgiveness meditation. That people don't live up to our romantic ideals of who they should be. And our children don't live up to our ideals of who should we should be. Nobody and does. I don't live <laughs> up to their ideals of mother charming either. And to loosen up attachments. Do you know non-attachment is profoundly important? And I got nailed to the wall when we went to Brighton Bush. And he says, Stephen said to me, It sounds to me like you're pretty attached to what your marriage has to look like, and it doesn't look like that. Maybe instead of trying to get him to conform to your ideal of what it should look like, maybe you should practice non-attachment and at least be able to enjoy the part of your marriage that is still beautiful. And he was right. And I didn't like hearing it, but he was right. So I did forgiveness meditation for most of that first year. It was my central practice. And sometimes I'd sit down to do my spiritual practice and I'd say, I'm holding you, Charlie, in my heart as if you're my own only child, Stephen taught me. And I forgive you for being away. No, I don't. Maybe. <laughs> and some days I couldn't do it. But on another day, I could soften. And I'd say, you're doing incredible work in the world. And I so respect what you're doing. And you're learning so much. And when you're here with us, you're a beautiful, devoted father to the children. And when you're home, you know, you take time after we have our fights to be with me in a meaningful way and cherish me and honor me and respect me. I just miss you so much. But I could be with the tender, vulnerable feelings rather than the anger. And Jack Cornfield was the one who really helped me to understand that underneath that much anger, there was so much hurt and so much fear. And I was arguing so hard with him because I was afraid that our family was going to splinter apart. And so to just go with the, the deeper feelings, I'm so afraid and I just need to take good care of myself and trust that this isn't going to go on forever. And maybe we'll be able to make it through it. Do you think that that one of the biggest challenges people have in relationships is being with their own feelings? Yeah, because there's sometimes really intense feelings. People put them in the denial zone. They don't want to know how angry they are. They don't want to know how sad they are, how lonely they are, or how frightened they are. And so when people do their spiritual practice, you can't run away and distract yourself with eating and movies and busyness and going to the gym and alcohol and drugs and all of the things that people self-medicate with. You really have to be present for what's there in your experience. And it's empowering in all of our relationships when we get in right relationship with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people when we teach our class, last weekend we taught at Kripalu up in the Berkshire Mountains in Massachusetts. And this coming weekend, we're teaching at Esalen Institute in Big Sur. I always tell my class, find some kind of a spiritual practice to be able to be 
with yourself, to disengage from the busyness of the world. You don't have to have a formal practice with a shrine and an altar and a cushion and you the same time every day if that doesn't feel right to you. But take a little piece of each day to be present with yourself. It can be different times a day. It can be in different locations. But gift yourself with that because it's one of the best things that you're going to do for your relationships, all of them. And for your own level of well-being and happiness, because all of the people that I respect in the positive psychology movement say the same thing. You get the biggest bang for your buck in the happiness department from your closest relationships working. How deep they are is going to add so much meaning to your life. So I'm always telling my students that. I'm always saying that in my books, and I'm always saying that to my clients. (laughs) I love that. It's so important. It really is so important, the spiritual practice and to really getting in tune with who we who we are. And that's probably part of the vulnerability that you talked about as well, that the that the vulnerability is to bring ourselves as vulnerable to our partner, to our relationships, is also really key to being present and to, I suppose, also listening and also just holding the space for another person. That's exactly right, because the connection comes from that depth of feeling, of being present with yourself and bringing your present self to connect to the other person. One of our teachings is about making a regular practice at least once a week. Daily practice is even better than that, but a lot of people don't do it at all, of having connection time with each other to check in. You check in with yourself, and then you check in with your partner. So a lot of people think about spiritual practice as doing it all alone. But relationship with spiritual practice is you check in with yourself and then you report out to other. And to do that as a regular practice is a profound growing experience. I will be grateful all my days to Sylvia Borstein for teaching me about speaking as a spiritual practice and listening as a spiritual practice, because I'm a big-time extrovert. Yeah, (laughs) Really? (laughs) I'm a big-time extrovert. My husband is so introverted, so sitting in silence is just a piece of cake for him. But it's, it's challenging for me. And when she taught me about talking meditation, I just wanted to sing a hallelujah chorus, because to be able to relate to my beloved, to be able to talk to my closest friends, my my women's friends and my women's group, to my kids and my grandkids in a meaningful way. And when Sylvia taught it, she said, people talk so fast, slow down and deliver your message and then pause so they can really receive you. And when you're the receiver, be with what just was sent to you and feel into it. And don't shoot your response back too fast. Be with it. And it's it's a deep spiritual practice to talk back and forth in that way. So when my husband and I have our connection time, we try to do it as a spiritual practice. Even if we're talking about the things we're planning to do that day, 
Do you know? But to really be fully present for it and not be too offhanded about it. That's beautiful. It's beautiful you call that a spiritual practice. You know, so do you all, do you just see couples? Do you ever have like one person coming and saying, I have this problem in my relationship? Do you always see couples together? It's ideal, but you know, it's more often um, that we don't get the ideal. But we all <laughs> got to be unattached. <laughs> we take the motivated person. Honest, honestly, it's usually the woman. It's not always the woman, but it's usually the woman. And if one person says, I'm not really motivated to go, I, I tell the woman, then you come. Because if you take a look at the way in which you're participating in this relationship and you shift, it's possible that he might be inspired by seeing the changes in you and he might come and join us. And even if he doesn't, he may have to do his part of the relationship a little differently in response to the changes that you're making. Yeah, I ask because I think about um, like if 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 one one person in the relationship learns about this way of talking as a spiritual practice and brings it up to their partner, like, you know, this is how it goes. You know, I'm going to talk and then I'm going to pause and then you receive. And I could just see sometimes that other person going, what are you talking about? We call those couples the mixed marriage. You know, <laughs> okay. back in the day, a couple of decades ago, the mixed marriage was different races or different religions. Nowadays, there's one that's so passionate about personal growth and spiritual practice, and the other person is not. And it just isn't on their radar screen. You know, they just don't have the motivation for it. But if they're in a loving partnership, there there's at least a little curiosity and wonder there. And what is it that you're doing in this spiritual practice that you're doing? And what is it doing for you? So they can get the, the short version. You don't want to overwhelm them because they're really not on that wavelength. But just enough so that there's a little bit of learning and understanding that's going on. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You start you when you get married, you are you're one person and if if you're evolving at all in your life, which most of us are, over decades you become kind of an, another person. Different things are, are interesting. I I when I got married, I was young and I wasn't really into spirituality that much. I think I always had it, but it really became a, a big part of my life, not so much a part of my husband's life. Um, but he supports everything I do, but he's not really engaged in the things that I do. But he's it's interesting because he's like a thousand percent supportive of whatever I do, even if he's not even for it himself, which really, which really, really helps. It's very sweet. But but there is I also sometimes have this yearning of 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 not being unattached and going, oh, I wish you were on the same journey as I, you know, I wish we were doing the same thing. And it just isn't that way. And it's also just a matter of like you learned. That's that's what it is, you know. I can't like try to form this so that he's doing the same things that I'm doing, and um, and just finding the good in what it is. I I see the good in the way he supports me. That's beautiful, and it's one of our key teachings: is respecting the differences, mm -hmm. whatever they are. And there's often one in the pair that's more enthusiastic about spiritual development and personal growth and one that isn't as interested. 
and that's okay. And, you know, there are times where people convert. It is <laughs> it is possible that in that mixed marriage that some person comes over. I will tell you that my husband was reading Ramdas actually a year or two before I was interested. And he would read his books and then he would put them on my night table on my side of the bed. And I would just leave him there. And then he'd read another spiritual book and he'd put it on my night table. And I wasn't interested because I was still in recovery. You know, I I linked spirituality with religion. And the religion that I was brought up with was all about the rules and doing the uh-huh. right thing, you know, and God's going to punish you if you don't do the right thing. And so I had thrown the baby out with the bathwater and I don't, don't want to read those spiritual books, you know, but he was patient with me and respected the differences. And every once in a while, he'd just read a line to me and then I would go, wow. <laughs> and eventually I started to read the ones that he was putting on my night table. But sometimes one person is a bit ahead of the other. Do you know? Yeah. But because the love and care is there with you and your husband, he, he supports your journey, which is somewhat different than his. And you're still going through life on a similar journey, but you're individuated. So your journey is somewhat distinct from his journey. Yeah. And honestly, if if I was honest with myself, I probably do want to have an individuated journey. <laughs> I don't okay. know that I really want to be, <laughs> to be that bound. I think sometimes I I, I think I, I fake myself out and go, oh, it'd be so much easier if but I don't know if that's true, you know, if he was completely doing what I was doing. I, I, if I'm really honest, I, I really like being different. <laughs> so I, I married the contrast. <laughs> that's great. And you know what? I believe that we do pick people to partner with who are very different than we are for really important reasons. Some wise, intuitive knowing knows that they have strengths we don't have mm-hmm. and we have strengths they don't have. And that innate drive for mastery magnetizes us to people who are different than we are so that we can be fuller, so mm-hmm. that we can, you know, really grow into who we can be. And I think that's a good thing. But on the journey to doing that, <laughs> there's going to be some friction. There's going to be some you know, passionate interchanges. And if we can learn how to not allow them to become arguments where we're vying for control and want to get our way and trying to coerce the other person to think differently, speak differently, be differently, change their values. We don't want to go over those lines. So we're making a plea in the book to people to to identify themselves in whatever chapter. Like there's one on sarcasm. If you use sarcasm, it's, sometimes it's not so funny. Do you know? And mm-hmm. cutting, it can be insulting and disrespectful to somebody. So if they catch themselves red-handed using that, that's why they get combat coming back at them because somebody feels wounded and hurt and disrespected. Um, there's one in there about non-attachment too. If you get too white knuckle grip on how it's got to look to ease up. 
And there's so many different topics that some will apply to one reader and they won't have anything to do with another reader. But we have the whole spectrum of places that you can get in trouble and then find your way out of it. Yeah, go ahead. One of the chapters is about showing the depth of appreciation and gratitude, about seeing your your partner through the eyes of appreciation and gratitude, and then not revealing that to them, not withholding that from them. And just your partner hearing that they're, they're teaching you extraordinary, wonderful things. They're an asset in your life, that they're valued. Do you know the little irritations, they can clear those and they don't even have to bring them to your attention. It doesn't even need a discussion. It heads off trouble at the pass. Yeah. As I was thinking, uh, reading through your book, I, I felt the same way. Like there's some of, the, some of these, I go, oh, I, I see that one. I see that one. Yep. There's me. And I go, that, that, I don't see myself there, but I see, you know, see something else. And I, I think it's really wonderful. You got 101. <laughs> <laughs> 101 and some of these like here's agreements uh, grievances triggered irreconcilable differences um me or we sore spots honesty forgiveness there's just a whole bunch of things and and they're all short little chapters and that's one of the things i like them too it is it is a really good nightstand book <laughs> that you know you don't have to get involved in a chapter and it's going to take you two hours to get through it's it's they're they're short and they're little vignettes and like just you said, that even just being grateful and expressing your gratitude, not keeping it to yourself, not withholding, is a wonderful lesson that will benefit every single relationship, all of them. It's been a powerful teaching for me yeah, to uh, emphasize the positive, do you know, and to see my partner and other people in my life too, through eyes of appreciation and gratitude, rather than fault-finding eyes. I came up from a lineage that had too much fault finding. Mm. And they thought that they were doing me a service to teach me that, but I had to unlearn some of the bad habits that were in my lineage, do you know, and replace them with ones that were more constructive. I want to tell you one of the chapters that's been very meaningful to me, and it's been having a conversation about having a conversation. Oh, I agree. Let's talk about that one. It's one of the um, very important teachings that I think is missing from some of the other wonderful relationship books. So I wanted to make sure to include that. I, uh, When I came out of being anger phobic, I blurted things out too fast. And I didn't realize how off-putting that was to my husband for a long time, that I'd say, we need to talk. Do you know? It wasn't Mm -hmm. inviting. I learned the hard way because I got resistance coming back before I even got really to express my concern. Finally, he told me, could you be a little softer and take your time. And I I began by calling it introductory remarks, where I would approach him and I say, I have something on my heart. And I don't know if this is a good time for you to hear it. Would this be a good time? So he could take a look and see whether he was really open and available. And sometimes he'd say no, but you know, at the end of the day, when I uh, have some this, that, and the other thing accomplished, I want to sit down and I'll listen to you then. 
Or maybe he'd say, it's too late at night. I'm tired. How about we do it in the morning? But he'd rain check me. Uh, John Gottman is somebody that I really respect. He calls it softened startup. Ah. <laughs> I replaced introductory remarks with softened startup to invite your partner into the conversation. Don't take them by surprise by blurting out the concern and give them a chance to buy in. And if you say, I just want you to listen. I don't necessarily want you to give me advice. I'm not demanding any change on your part. I just want you to hear me out. There's another chapter about (laughs) don't give unsolicited advice, which is also really very important. But that wasn't my learning as much as that was my husband's, that he would always be Mr. Fix-It. But it was very important for me to learn that how we introduce the topic that we want to speak about and have engagement, full engagement from the person that we're talking to, the way we start has a tremendous bearing on whether it's going to have a successful outcome. So we want to stack the deck for success. Yeah, I I think that is so important because I think what happens is with a lot of people, they have this emotional something like it's like it's building like and it's it's almost like a volcano like i've got to get this out of me my feelings like i'm going to feel better if i just kind of explode my feelings and it's like you and it's like you vomit on the other person right. and then they're just kind of like left with the junk on them <laughs> it's energetic junk on them and it never works and you have you have this very temporary feeling of oh i feel relieved <laughs> I've, I've let go of all my stuff. And then, you, then you have the aftermath. <laughs> the aftermath of the stuff on your partner. <laughs> it's a spiritual practice to contain it until they're really available to hear us. Yes. While we're containing it, we can do some practice about framing it in a way that is going to be received. That's not going to have blame and judgment in it. We're not going to make them wrong. We're not going to demand or command anything. We're going to be very refined and genteel about our communication. And it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, I love the idea of having a spiritual practice around your own feelings, containing your own feelings. And because really it the the need to blurt it, I think, is because we just can't really be with it. Like we're we can't be with the feelings, so we got to get them out of us. And and there's a spiritual practice of just being with our feelings, whether it's anger or disappointment or betrayal or whatever it is that we're feeling, that the practice of just, you know, these are my feelings. I'm gonna just sit with them. And then I can actually communicate them at, at more of a scheduled time. I just think that's brilliant. It's it's a again, it's kind of a simple idea, but it's not something that <laughs> we normally think about. And you know? simple is not necessarily easy. easy. <laughs> no. And then the other part, okay, I'm I'm the fix-it one in the relationship. I I and just, you know, just to put it out there, I, I'm not trying to I it, it's it's just my natural response. I know unless the other, my person, whoever it is, my my husband or my daughter, or my friend, um, they come to me with their problem. And I I just have this automatic, how can I help? You know, uh, oh, I've got some ideas. This is what you can do. And and I I catch myself in it. Good. <laughs> Usually too late, <laughs> often too late. It does help though. It does help if I can catch myself and say, 
are you interested in, you know, hearing some ideas, you know, before I, you know, set them out there? I've gotten better at, do you want some thoughts? Do you want me to give you some thoughts on that or just want me to hear? Very simple. Very simple. It's not always there. But uh-huh. the other the other skillful part, and I'm not meaning to put it on my partner, but it is skillful also if you can say, I have some feelings I want to talk about and I just want you to listen. Um, so Very if you're helpful. if you're with a if you're with a fix-it person or somebody who has that compulsion, it does help them stop and pause. In fact, I used to say to my husband Charlie back in the day, fortunately I don't have to do it now, I'd say, I have something that's really upsetting me and I would like to talk it over with you. But if you're gonna be Mr. Fix It and give me unsolicited advice, I'm not gonna tell you. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, and well, yeah, he would get it's, himself ready to just be a committed listener. Yes. I love Sylvia Borstein has taught me a lot. Um she used this title for one of her books. Don't just do something, sit there. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> being with whatever is going on in our experience. I feel so blessed that Sylvia Borstein wrote an endorsement for our new book, An End to Arguing. Yeah. And Hornfield also wrote an endorsement for our new book. And I have such reverence for these two particular teachers that I'm deeply grateful that they gave me their blessing for the book. But they know that this, this whole book is about a mindfulness practice so that we don't have to cause harm. You know, there's a chapter in it about harmlessness and committing ourselves to harmlessness. And that requires the kind of self-restraint to be with what we're experiencing before we act or speak in ways that can damage another person. And we must never use our words as weapons. Do you know, people are tender-hearted and people are sensitive and they can be deeply wounded even by a look or body language, do you know? And there's a section about repairing after we do some unskillful things, which I think is incredibly important. And all of the best relationships that I know whether they're parent-child or sibling or friendships or romantic, those people are all champions of repair. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Forgive ourselves. If we mess up, fess up. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I forgot. I hope you can forgive me. There's a chapter about forgiveness, about the timing that's important and um, the willingness to let go and to allow people to be imperfect because aren't we all such a mixed bag? (laughs) We're all so imperfect. So we hope that people will cut us a little slack and be forgiving of us. And that energetic about being compassionate, being understanding, being forgiving, practicing non-attachment, that sets up an energetic and invites people to be in relationship with us, also with those high standards as well. I think that all that's just also part of being vulnerable. You know, it's also just being vulnerable and authentic. And as a minister, I've probably married maybe a hundred couples, um, a, a good amount, and and I'm always refining my 
my my my talk on on marriage, you know. So I, I talk about the couple, and then I have kind of a spiritual address on on marriage. And I'm always refining it, but you've made me think about some other things I want to put into my ceremony because people they vow to to love each other, they vow to care for each other, but something like being committed to to harmlessness is an interesting idea. You know, it's like it's it's it, it it's another. It's something you don't hear very much, you know. Like I'm committing myself to, 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 to not harming you, and 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 if I do, then I repair it. Exactly. It's it's again simple, not always easy, but a simple concept, and it's really beautiful. Anyway, I'm I'm just kind of <laughs> you maybe think about about the wedding ceremony and what people are promising to each other. Um. Um delighting in having touched you in this moment. My husband and I wrote this book so that we could touch people in a meaningful way and have them think in creative ways, to pat themselves on the back for the things that they're already doing well and to discover where their growing edge is what they could do that would be even more magnificent and more wonderful than what they're doing already. But we have to catch ourselves right-handed because some of the things are so automatic and we've been doing them for so long and they've been in the families for generations going back to the old country that we're just the fish in the water. Do you know? We don't Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. know. But we're hoping that the stories and we're going to challenge people. We've got a checklist. You know, do you do this? Do you do that? Are you anger phobic? This is how to tell whether you're anger phobic. It's going to give you trouble if you don't recover from it. If you're a blurter, you need to, you know, (laughs) practice more (laughs) self-discipline. It's going to give you trouble if you don't recover from it to be able to come validating where you can tell the truth without blame and judgment. And so we wrote each chapter with an intention of being able to touch people's heart and minds in a way that would enliven them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do that. That is is not my outstanding characteristic. I really need to file (laughs) that edge down. Not proud of that one. (laughs) (laughs) I I liked also um, in well, it's it's not in the exact beginning. I think it's like chapter twelve. But you have this you have this list of terms of terms of engagement. This is so important because people operate in their relationship without really packing down what their agreements are. I mean, they may have made a a couple of big ones. Do you know that I'm going to forsake all others? I'm going to be faithful to you. (laughs) We're going to have sexual fidelity. But but then there's so many nuances of what are our agreements? Do you know? Um, Are we going to have kids? How many kids are we going to have? If we have an old sick parent, would we take them in to live in the house? Do we have an agreement that we're not going to have? I have clients years ago who called it the no-fly zones. These are the topics they couldn't talk about, the the taboo topics. Are we going to have some taboo topics or are we going to have, we're going to speak about everything that's important to us and that they're not going to be any no-fly zones, even if they're difficult issues weight issues, money issues, sexuality issues, in-law issues, raising the children, 
Do you know, are we going to discuss everything? Are we committed to deep listening and really receiving each other with an intention to understand and learn together? These are agreements that people need to put in place, not just we're never going to hit each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's some big ones, but then there are medium-sized ones and then the refined ones. And so every relationship needs some agreements. And this is how people build trust. They make agreements and they really know kidding, keep them. And so it's important. And I, I tell people I'm working with that don't have agreements in their relationship yet. Don't make more than 10 to start. You know, these are your, your 10 commandments. You're coming up with them together. And don't agree to anything unless you're ready to agree to it full heart. You know, you, mm-hmm. you need to really be committed to it whatever it is, and stick to them. Then you can add some others after that. And, you know, I work with couples and they've never had an agreement that they don't shout and holler at each other. They've never had an agreement that if they needed a timeout, that they take it with with grace and say, I'm getting overheated now. I need to cool down. I'm coming back. And that they don't stomp off and slam the door. They don't have an agreement that they don't cuss at each other, curse. They don't have an agreement that they don't threaten divorce. Do you know? I say you better get an agreement about that right away, that you don't ever talk about divorce when you're angry. I call that getting the big guns out of the house. (laughs) Do you know? And really see what it is that you want to be the guidelines and the ground rules of the game of your relationship. And you put on the table the ones that you would like. You might not get everything you ask for, but at least tell the truth about what you want. And then listen to your partner because their needs are just as important as yours. Not more important than yours, not less important than yours, but just as important as yours. And if you want to have a great relationship, not just an okay one, but you want to have a great relationship. Both people have to really trust that their needs are going to be met in this relationship. And these guidelines are going to tell you a lot about what the other person needs to really feel fulfilled in the relationship. So I I can't say enough about getting the agreements on the table and really follow them. Yeah, I completely agree. I I, as you're speaking, I was remembering my youngest daughter when she was a freshman in college, she and her roommate created agreements. And it had to do with, you know, when boys come and when who's going to clean, all, all these kind of agreements. They had agreements. What was so beautiful about that is when the agreement was violated, they were able to point to the agreement, not to you. You know, you did this. It was like, remember, we agreed to this. And this guy's still here. Remember, we agreed that, you know, the guy would be out <laughs> by a certain time. And it, it deflects the personalness of conflict, if you can point to the agreement. Absolutely. And there will be breakdowns in the agreements. Even if people are 100% committed to them, the old patterns have a force of their own. You know, die out right away. But both people are responsible for bringing it to awareness that the agreement didn't get kept. Now let's get back on our commitment to keep them. Yeah. You know, without yeah. the macro. No right. blame. 
Right, right. Uh, so, Linda, we just have a couple more minutes, and I want to give you your last words of what you want to tell my audience about you and your work, and then we'll close. Well, it's a very um, foundational teaching of all the work that we do, whether it's counseling workshops or our books, to keep your attention on yourself. Do your own work. Know what your great strengths are, your signature strengths, and use them, enjoy them, revel in them, get them on other people, you know, and know what your weak suits are too, and commit yourself to doing that work. Because when we do our own work, lo and behold, our relationships tend to thrive. So I I feel that that's foundational in our teaching. And there's all kinds of free stuff to support that commitment on our website. So we've got three free eBooks. When people give us their email, they can get the one on sexuality, the one on the 10 most important things I wish I knew when I got married. And then there's one about going for the gold, about really setting your vision and your aspirations high about having great relationships, not just a great romantic partnership, but great relationships with kids and parents and siblings and friends and even on the job. And we have over 600 blogs. So there's a link to psychology today. People can get a lot of inspiration from the blogs. And you mentioned already in the beginning that we've had 10 million hits. That's amazing. I'm so glad people use them. And then there are over 100 videos because some people don't like to read, but they want to be taught. And they're they're, we're doing the shorter ones now. Some of them are longer, but you just pick by topic of interest. And so I want people to remember either Linda Bloom or Charlie Bloom or Bloomwork, and that will take them to the website and they can get all of that free stuff. And if they're on our mailing list, then if we're doing a class in their area, they can come to Kripalu or Esalen. We're going to be teaching in Tennessee for the first time in June and people could do a class with us. And, and we do consulting with people by zoom, no matter where they are. Well, that's wonderful. You're doing really great work. And I think you're inspiration also um teachers that people would be interested in because you've done the work yourself and you've you know you've really transformed your own relationship and so you're a wonderful example and i'll have the links to your uh your your uh web page and everything on the podcast page and it's just been a delight talking with you and i just really appreciate your coming on Thank you for inviting me. And your questions have been exquisite. They gave me a jumping off place, each one of them, so that I could give my practical wisdom. So thank you. And oh, thank great. you for the work that you do in the world. Well, I appreciate that. And thank you, listeners. Thank you, listeners. I know, I know that you've inspired and touched the hearts of people out there. And that's what we do on this podcast. So thank you, Linda. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.